So if you would, follow along as I read his word. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the wondrous works he has performed. He has established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence or hope in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So um, I got lost in the French Quarter when I was about six years old which was a bit of a crisis for my parents, as you can well expect. Uh, we were standing to, together in the French Quarter area and um, not far from Cafe Dumas, we had incoming family, extended family from out of town and we were showing them around the city. And, uh, and I just remember looking over to my right and seeing a, a storefront window, a kind of shop window, and in the glass there, there was this life-sized sculpture of a leopard. And so I just took a few steps away from my family and walked over, and next thing you know, I'm in imaginary world. Me and the leopard are in the savannah. We are off somewhere together. I'm just imagining this whole thing. And then I turn around, and there's just this sea of people where my family was just standing. And then I'm in panic mode, and I run to Cafe Dumont, and I look in, and I'm looking at all the tables, and they're not there, and panic is starting to creep up and take over. And at that moment, there were two ladies who, at, at, my at the time, they seemed to me as old as time. And th these ladies just come up to me, and, and one of them put her hand on my shoulder. She said, honey, where are you, where's your family? <laughs> and I said, I don't know where my family is. And, and they said, well, then let's just sit right over here, and we'll just, we'll just wait. So we sat down together. I sat right between these ladies on either side of me. And my parents, just maybe about 30 minutes later, when they're tracking through, retracing their steps and all these different places, and they end up coming back, and then they come and they grab me and all this stuff, right? And there I was, sitting between these ladies who just decided to reprioritize their day. The new priority was, now he's our responsibility. Like, now we got to get this kid home, is basically what they decided. The new priority of today is, get this kid home. And Psalm 78 has a similar word to urge the older generation, not just parents, but the family of God, we gotta get these kids home. And home isn't just get them to heaven once their life is through, but we gotta get them to God. We have to get them to the place where this text says, we want them to hope in God. We want them to have confidence in God. We want them to not forget his works. That's the ball game, that's, that's home, and we're the ones who by God's grace are called to take them there. That's our call in Psalm 78, these first eight verses. And again, I've been itching to preach this text on the day we opened everything back up so that all of our 
roots deepening ministry work, we could remind ourselves why that matters. Why even as a whole church and staff teams and ministry areas come alongside Christian families to say, kids, hope in God. Kids, he's worth serving for the rest of your life. He's the one that matters the most. Live for his glory. So how do we get there? We need to cultivate three sacred practices that emerge in this text. And we need to practice it as a whole church, as members of the Church of Brook Hills. The first one is this, listen well. Listen well. You see the words in verse one. My people hear my instruction. Listen or give ear, it could be translated, to the words of my mouth. So that's, that's where faith begins. It really shouldn't be surprising if we've read the New Testament where the Apostle Paul, and Peter really comes together and says the same idea, that what we need the most is faith. And then Peter talks about how you add to your faith all these life-changing aspects of God's grace in our hearts, but it all begins with faith. You add that to your faith. And Apostle Paul answers the question, so how do you get faith? He says, faith comes by hearing hearing the word of God. So if what we need is faith, if we're justified by faith, if we're accepted by God on the basis of faith, then we need faith. And the question is, where are we gonna get it? And Paul says, I'll tell you where to get it. You get it from being taught God's word. You get it from hearing God's word. Here's the point for us to hold on to. Biblical faith doesn't begin with an open mouth. It begins with an open ear. So the mission of the gospel is downstream of us receiving the faith that's been delivered once for all to the saints. In other words, when we leave our gatherings and we recite the Great Commission, bear in mind, you can't be a great commissioner until you have become a great commissionee, until you have received the word. You're not ready to start talking about anything. You can't tell a story you've never heard. And that's what Psalm 78 is saying. Give them the stories. Give them the stories of the covenant. Tell them the mighty deeds of the Lord, the character of God. Faith comes by hearing. It's the first command in this text is hear or give ear. It could be literally translated from the Hebrew, stretch your ear. That's the sense of the word that's used there. Stretch your ear, this, this posture of active listening. You know, Solomon writes about this in the book of Proverbs where he's instructing his son, and what does he say? He says, son, get wisdom. I'm not telling you to wait for it. Why are you sitting there? Go get it, go snatch it. Go find wisdom like you're searching for hidden gems Get that wisdom and bring it on board in your life. I need you to go get this stuff. Go out there and, and snatch it, right? It reminds me of a story from the annals of church history from the 17th century where a certain pastor named Mr. Vines was preaching in a, a large gallery area and, and one of the members there, attenders there, stood up from the back of the room and said, lift up your voice for I cannot hear you. And Mr. Vines responded, lift up your ears for I can speak no louder. That's the sense of Psalm 78. Lift up your ears. Stretch your ear in the direction of the truth. You know, Jesus goes round and round with the religious authorities of his day. And he's saying all the same things he's been saying. And they're just not getting it because they don't want to get it. That's why you have this language that's sometimes used in the Bible of he who has ears let him hear. You got these things, but you have to use them. You have to stretch them in the direction of the truth. Here's a classic encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders. They're frustrated, and here's what they say to him. How long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They're just like, just tell us, and then we'll know. What does Jesus say? I told you, and you do not believe. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, I'm telling you, here's, here's the shape of things. The speakers aren't broken. The listeners are. The, the truth has been spoken, but you're not ready to listen. You won't stretch your ears. You won't hear it because you don't want it. And here in verse one, right out of the gate in our text, there is a responsibility placed on the hearer. Come and get it. Listen, stretch your ear toward the truth. We are strengthened in faith as we receive God's word. It's a truth that's so clear throughout the Bible. We're strengthened in faith as we receive God's word. But I want us to notice that there's a there's a transition, there's a change in roles taking place in the midst of our text. There's a passing of the baton, if you will. So point number two is this, give them roots. Give them roots. He, he moves from those who have received the faith and he says, now you're called to commend the faith. You see in verse three, our ancestors have passed down to us, verse four, we will not hide it from their children. We've received something from those who have gone before us. And then verse four is turning around and saying, and we're gonna give away what we've received. Now we have a responsibility to give the same content of the faith to the children. We don't just receive the faith. We commend it to future generations. We don't just receive the faith. We commend it to future generations. And it takes the whole church to do this. I wonder how many of you, if you're listing the list of names of people who invested in your life so that you came to believe in Jesus Christ, how many of the people on that list aren't your family members? There's, there were Sunday school teachers, they were VBS workers, they were student leaders, youth leaders, right? College people, college ministry workers who discipled you in the faith, opened up texts of God's word, opened up their life, struggled with you, cried with you, prayed for you, and now you believe. Right, that's what the whole church is called to do together. Verse, verse five is reaching all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter six. So look at verse five. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to pass on to their children or to teach to their children. What's going on here? Asaph is taking you on the magic school bus, right? And he's, he's driving you back 500 years to Deuteronomy chapter six, when Moses stood on Mount Nebo and he preached three sermons, and those three sermons are called the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is just three sermon manuscripts. That's all it is. And in the second sermon that Moses preached, he says, look, once I'm done the third sermon, I'm gonna die right here on this mountain. We're right here on the threshold of the promised land, dripping with milk and honey. Go get it in just a second. But first I need to tell you how to be faithful once you're in the promised land. And he says to them, the future of your flourishing depends on you hearing what I'm saying right now. And what did he say in that moment? Deuteronomy 6, it'll be on the screen. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. 
Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. It's hard to imagine any other times of the day besides those things, right? Verse eight, bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build. He's probably gesturing in the direction of that city right there. Houses full of every good thing that Uh, with things that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, and when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. He said, if you're gonna be faithful and if you're gonna flourish in coming days, you're gonna have to start talking to your children now conveying to them the content of the faith, the ways of the Lord, Yahweh's character, you need to start teaching now. And when you go into the promised land, don't forget the story of what God has done to get you there. And the unfolding story that develops after that is is tragic because you keep following the narrative in the Old Testament and you arrive in Judges chapter two, verse 10, which says that a whole generation, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. So the question is, how is it possible that these people who stood on Mount Nebo, uh, Nebo right there before they went into the promised land and Moses said, I need you to start talking and I need you to make sure they hear the works of God. And then you fast forward one generation and it says, the kids came up and they didn't know the works of God. How did that happen? Well, because the ancestors, the fathers, the generation, the older generation stopped talking about it. Well, then that leads to the question, what did they talk about? Jericho celebrities, Jericho real estate, Jericho politics, the Jericho housing market, Jericho traffic this time of year has been a pain. Jericho crops are doing well this year, right? Jericho, Jericho, all the stuff. They're talking about basically anything and everything except the one thing they had to talk about in order for them to be faithful from generation to generation. They left out the exodus. The walls stood up on both sides, kids. It was unbelievable what God did. And here we are this day because of his faithfulness leading us here. You should have seen the day that he both rescued us and decommissioned Pharaoh's army in one moment. It was unreal. They didn't tell that story. God didn't just exhort them in general to remember his rescue. He told them when. He told them how. He said, when you, when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way on your way to the ball game, on your way back, right, in coffee shops, in the living room, everywhere you go, when you're going to bed, nighttime stories, when you wake up in the morning, breakfast around the table, and we're talking, 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 we're telling, telling, telling the stories of what God has done. He said, write it on the doorpost so you see it on the way out. Write it on the gate so you see it on the way and write it on your hand, write it on your forehead. I want you to make sure you never, ever forget. And they forgot. There's even a transcript 
that Moses, under divine inspiration, he handed them a transcript. He said, this is how the conversation's gonna go. I'm telling you in future days, this is gonna happen, and here's what I want you to do. When your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances that the Lord our God has commanded you? So basically the kids are saying, what does all this stuff mean? Why do we gather for worship the way that we do? Why do we sing and then pray? And then why do we have baptisms in the Lord's Supper? Why do we do what we do as a family? He says, tell them, in the Old Testament, tell them this, quote, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and on Olive's household. What, what is this person doing? Telling the story, not hiding it from the generation of the children coming after them. Verse 23, but he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Son, Baby girl, righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. What was just happening? Moses is saying, I'm telling you, this is how you, this is how you tell the next generation. You don't hide it from the next generation. You build in times to remember what God has done. Their future faithfulness depends on our intentional transfer of the faith. That's the big idea. Their future faithfulness depends on our intentional transfer of the faith. So listen well, give them roots, and third, keep it real. Keep it real. So, you know, in one way, I just wanted to preach verses one through seven. Because we've just opened up the new space for Brook Hills kids, and it's just exciting, so let's just commend the gospel from one generation to the next. Let's talk about rah, rah, rah. Let's talk about the glory and beauty and privilege of doing that because verse eight is such a downer, right? Look at verse eight. Then, so if they keep his commands, then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. It's a, it's a real downer because verse eight basically says we have failed. The things that we were just telling you about in verses one through seven, we've failed. And the reason I couldn't leave verse eight out of this morning is the whole rest of Psalm 78 is a song about how we failed. It's the main theme of Psalm 78. In, in a way, why is it that God would give his people in their hymnal, on page 78 of their hymnal, a super wordy song about human failure. In a way, Psalm 78, if you, if you hang a banner over the entire chapter, it basically says this, where we have been faithless, he has been faithful. There's no pretending, there's no keeping up appearances. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't save the impressive. In a way, that's the story that God was calling his people to remember as they sang this entire psalm. They set it to music and they sang it. It was basically saying, God has been faithful. God doesn't save the impressive. You know what so often I think kills faith in the next generation? When the generation coming before them 
that's teaching them, teaching them in the home, teaching them in classrooms, doesn't talk about real things. Gives the impression that, you know, it's so easy to follow Jesus. If you just, if you just this, if you just that, right? I think one of the most defeating things in the Christian world is this projection of I am strong, I am happy, I am energetic, I am resolved. And the next generation grows up and they start to face the winds and the waves and the pressure of life in a fallen world and their own discouragement and suffering. And then they say, how come our parents look like they were just Teflon? All the bullets just bounced off. That doesn't feel like the story I'm living in. How come nobody told me how real it is, how hard it is? My brother was on staff at a huge church several years ago. And one of the pastors was asked on a Sunday morning to lead the church in prayer for the next generation. Well, the, the difficulty is there was, a, there was an issue, a, a matter of intense suffering in the life of one of his own children. And as he was praying for the children in the church, he, he buckled and he lost it emotionally. And he began to just weep. And he finished the prayer and it was kind of a mess. And in between the services, after that service was over, before the next service started, the, the senior pastor caught him in the green room and said, don't cry next service. He said this, how will the people walk in faith when their leaders can't hold themselves together? But friends, that's just the issue that Psalm 78 makes so clear. What if we didn't have to hold ourselves together? What if we had a savior? What if we had a gospel that Jesus doesn't save the impressive? And what if we could own our own shortcomings and we could even do it in the hearing of the littles, in the hearing of the next generation and we could say, you know what? Sometimes it's hard to believe. And sometimes you try to walk on water and you sink like a stone and sometimes pain intervenes and it stands between you and your vision of God. Sometimes sin gets the upper hand. But here's the reality, and for this, we have a gospel. Sons, daughters, for that we have Jesus, who is our all-sufficient Savior. Look, now we're teaching them to sing Amazing Grace. We're not just teaching them four words, God, man, Christ, response, and parroting the message of the gospel. We're, we're instilling in them, you can have confidence, not in yourself, but in God. That's your hope, that's my hope, right? What we were singing this morning, he welcomes who? The weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. That's a faith. That'll talk. That'll teach. That'll transform. That will convey the gospel from one generation to another. So I want to close with just one brief reading from another psalm. If you want to flip from here, Back to Psalm 44. And I want to read Psalm 44 because it lets us hear the sound of the next generation receiving the faith and then internalizing the faith themselves. It's almost like Psalm 78, when it gets into the bloodstream of the church, it creates the sound of Psalm 44. Here's what God's word says. Psalm 44, beginning in verse one. God, we have heard with our ears Our ancestors have told us 
the work you accomplished in their days, right? The storytelling happened. They told us. In days long ago, in order to plant them, you displaced the nations by your hand. In order to settle them, you brought disaster on the peoples. For they did not take the land by their sword. Their arm did not bring them victory. But by your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, because you were favorable toward them. And notice how the pronouns change. You are my king, my God, who ordains victories for Jacob. Through you, we drive back our foes. Through your name, we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow, and my sword does not bring me victory but you give us victory over our foes and let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in God all day long and we will praise your name forever. We've got a lot of young life bouncing around our church these days, right? And Lord willing, more coming in the future. And, and we look at this life just buzzing around when we gather together for worship. And we're supposed to remember as we look at Psalm 78, we have a responsibility. We have a stewardship. So imagine for a moment, four-year-old boy, today, what's your goal? To keep four-year-old boy from jumping into the baptistry, right? So small steps. We're, we're gonna get to other places later, but for this morning, the goal is four-year-old doesn't dive into the baptistry, right? But as we take Psalm 78 seriously and we sow and invest and pour gospel truth into his young heart and his young mind and exemplify the faith and show him how to live the faith. Now you fast forward, now that boy's 20 years old and you hear him investing in other people and discipling those younger than him and then you hear him pray and he prays like heaven is listening and he prays like Jesus is about to walk up and start doing something, right? And you pull that kid aside, young man aside, and you say, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that, that heart for the, the greatness of God? Where'd you get that sense that God's grace has been amazing toward you? Where'd you get that boldness to tell other people about Jesus, right? He should say something like, our fathers told us our ancestors didn't hide it from us. They told us in the house, they built an altar in the living room, and then we went to class on Sunday mornings and they told us, Sunday school teachers, faith trainers, student ministry, small group leaders, right, they just, they taught us the word, they showed us what it was like, they took us to pages in the Bible where we saw the mighty deeds of God, they took us to Goshen, when death and judgment were raining down on all the firstborn in Egypt, but we were safe because we stood underneath the blood over the lintel of the door. We stood beneath the blood and we were safe there. That's why we were secure. And then they took us from Goshen to Sinai and the giving of the law and Sinai to Jericho and the walls came tumbling down and then Jericho to the Valley of Elah when, when David put his foot on the face of Goliath, the Philistine, right? And before they were done, they took us to Bethlehem songs that were sung in the midnight sky over Bethlehem. Then they took us to Golgotha in the outskirts of town where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was hung up and pinned to a tree. And then they took us to the empty tomb 
and they showed us at the end of the day we saw there Jesus Christ himself and all of his saving efficacy and his glory. We saw the mightiest deed of all as God saved sinners through the death and resurrection of his only son. And then they, after telling us the story in the midst of all that, you know what they said? They said to us, you know, you're gonna stumble. And for that, you're gonna have a gospel. You're gonna fall and the Lord's always gonna take in broken sinners always going to take in broken sinners. So Brook Hills, on this, on this exciting day, as, as children are pouring down the halls into brand new classrooms, let's not forget the why behind our passion to get the word to the next generation. Why do we do what we do? Because we gotta get them home. We wanna instill in them not just the words of the faith, but the hope of the faith, confidence in God. We want to put rock underneath their feet. What are we going to have to do to do that? We have to give them roots.